but they introduced me to a lawyer because they wanted me to sign a contract, but my parents weren't very supportive of that kind of stuff back then. So that's the main reason why it didn't work out. Um, but they sent me to a lawyer and the lawyer was mostly in like the music industry. So he connected me to a label at the time called Ministry of, Ministry of Sound. The Ministry of Sound is now a owned by Sony Music BMG, I think. That's pretty, pretty familiar. Yeah, they, they were very big. They were like probably the biggest um, electronic music in the electronic music label in Australia. Welcome everyone. Uh, this is the inaugural sort of podcast episode uh, for, we don't know, sort of unnamed right now. We're kind of tossing out between names. We've got B1 Bytes coming in from one end, Kids in Quarter Zips from, what, what was the other one, Kian? From Convictions to Careers or something? Or can, yeah. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. It, it kind of has some like, I don't know, it has some weird criminal undertones. So we didn't really go too forward with that one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the name's kind of undecided, but that doesn't hold us back from, you know, getting things started. Uh, but yeah, look, we're just, uh, the, the whole point of this podcast is just kind of to, you know, get to know a bit of the, you know, unique people out there and specifically in Melbourne, you know, to hear about their stories, their passions and how they're turning these into things they care about as well as just, you know, getting to know everyone a little bit better, uh, considering, you know, again, it's lockdown, so we have to do in this strange format. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we still want to hear stories from other people. Uh, so I guess joining us here today, oh, we've got to say intros quickly. Uh, yeah, so if you don't know me already, I'm Ivan. Um, I guess there's not really much to me. I enjoy playing basketball. Um, I guess my conviction to career, I don't know, I did a lot of juggling when I was younger. So uh, maybe that can be something that will become, well, my, my mom always told me, she's always like, so Ivan, like, you know, like wherever you end up going, like regardless of whether you want to do, you know, uh, computer science or whether you do engineering, I still think you're going to end up in the circus. And I was like, mom, you got to be kidding me. But she's like, no, no, no. You just always been clowning around. Like, I would love to see you, uh, end up run away into the circus as you always, uh, as we always envisioned you to. So I guess that's my um, conviction to career is, um, right into the circus. But yeah, we've also got Kian here, um, a prolific reader as I recently found out. So I was a prolific soccer fan, so that's that's big. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Kian. Thanks, Ivan, and uh, thank you for that intro. I don't think I can match it in terms of quality and entertainment, but I'll give it a crack. Uh, I'm Kian. You probably haven't met me. I'm a bit new to the B1 landscape. Like um, Ivan said, I'm a pretty religious football fan, uh, religious Liverpool supporter, that is. <laughs> I do like to read. Same. I like... Uh... Oh, good man. Good stuff. <laughs> Great mind, what can I say? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, love, love all things Liverpool, business, politics, and uh, controversial. That's me. <laughs> and um, what I might do now is introduce to someone who you all probably know, you all probably envy, and you all wish you were in my position talking to. <laughs> it is the Reb. Um, he's who we will be talking to today. So, Reb, let us know a little bit about yourself before we get started. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, love it. Love it here. b ones a vibe, you know? Just, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Reb, uh, conviction to career, maybe, maybe that one. I like making things. I think I mentioned that before, but yeah, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what I make. So it's just, whenever I've learned something in life, it's always been with the, with me trying to make something out of it. So like when I learned software, it was mostly not to just get into software and get into a career of sorts. It was to make games. That's how I started when I was like about 10 or 11, something like that. Same thing with music picked it up just because I wanted to play and I wanted to make music and uh, that's how I learned to play and um, yeah especially going through uni doing my undergrad in like engineering and stuff that was just because I wanted to be an inventor when I was a kid mm. so uh, that's that probably sums me up in a nutshell I just like making things and whenever I'm doing something it's probably well like learning something it's probably with me wanting to make something in mind mm. I think it's um it's definitely very interesting that you mentioned you know, inventing kind of like, you know, pushing your dream. Because that's something that I had as well. Like, as a kid, I loved the idea of, um, you know, wanting to be an inventor. But I didn't think that was an actual career. So I didn't pursue it. 
But there were moments along, you know, my childhood. I can recall one specifically. We had like this really early um, sort of science fair um, almost in like year five. Mm. Um, and all my friends around me, they were like very sort of keen on doing the traditional thing. So they were building like sort of like like anti-slip ladders. They were building like fruit picking gloves. They were building, um, you know, very traditional things that if you Googled it online, you could find like a really good like project and they all got really good scores for it but like at the time i was thinking to myself like these are all fantastic you know like uh creating like streamlined like body suits so you swim faster in the water um creating like better ways to essentially uh you know collect different herbs as well but i was like like these are all great but they're not really fixing a problem in my life so i was i took this to like uh the extreme and i essentially what i did is i went and um Thought about what, what's going wrong, like what, what's, what's happening in my life. Uh, and the thing that I realized was that my dad always takes a while to fill up the bathtub. Um, and <laughs> I was like, okay, so he always sets the bathtub early and he like, he goes and he leaves it running for a while. And more often than not, he like, it's overflows and there's too much, not overflows, but there's too much water and like it's water wasted. So for some reason, my, my silly brain thought that the greatest invention that I could think of was this huge box that would essentially sit in the bathtub and once the water reached that level it would send a beeping that would essentially call my dad over to turn the bathtub off now to everyone's surprise i didn't end up getting a great score for that but (laughs) i think it really kind of um put into perspective that like i think from early on when i was like you know really interested in sort of like inventing all that I always took it from, like, an aspect where, like, you can improve, uh, like, part of your life um, or improve, like, a very small, like, portion, but actually have, like, a tangible Mm -hmm. impact. Because a lot of these, like, sort of inventions that people create as, like, kids and stuff, and, like, as they move on, like, and the older, it's not feasible. And, like, I think, luckily, as a kid, I was able to realize, like, it's probably more important to create more of a sort of localized impact on the people around you um, through your inventions, at least, um, that you know can actually help like my dad's tendency to forget uh, the bathtub was running. Um, and look, it probably... Very entrepreneurially minded. <laughs> Very, yes. Um, that was probably the peak of my uh, sort of uh, inventing career. But it, yeah, it just kind of spurred that memory in me, just trying to remember like, uh, I've always liked like trying to make something new. Like, um, I don't know if you had like projects in school for, you know, trying to like, you were able to like create something you know, obviously my school yep. was probably kind of weird. I didn't have like any robotics or something. So in year 10, I decided to try and make upcycled shoes from plastic bottles. Um, Fair enough. But that, to everyone's surprise. Adidas does that now, Pali or something. I, I think know. they took your gig, I man. No, I was actually so upset. I was like in year 11. Oh, you're a visionary. Yeah. I've done this so many times. You know those, you know those squeezy water bottles that like Nike made? Yeah. I actually thought of those yep, first. Yep. Like I, I was talking to myself. I was like, what if there's a way where, like, when you squeeze a particular direction, water can get out? And then, look, Nike heard that. It must have been one of the vans driving <laughs> by. And then they just took it and then didn't give me any royalties. I was so upset. But um, It reminds me of a similar story, actually. I remember when I was in first year, I think. Um, this is before I'd started doing software work, like, app-making work. So it's, like, the extent of my uh, software was like solving computational problems and not really like writing op- apps at that point or like making games. So I didn't really know. But I recall similarly that I wanted to like, I wanted people to connect with other people. That's always been like some sort of like some sort of value in my life. Whatever I'm, some, some of the artistic things that I've pursued has just been solely in the purpose of connecting with people. So I guess uh, I wanted to do something about that about that but more from a software perspective you know back in the day when we were all allowed to roam free in the wild and mingle with people without having to be stuck inside obviously in first year this was in 2017 2018 something like that um i had an idea for uh an app which uh basically just showed your location on um on a map such that your mates could know where you were and you could send out a ping and then they could come to you. About three or four weeks after that, Snapchat released their feature <laughs> for Snap Maps. Snap Maps. Yeah. Oh. So it's just like, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. It's just like, sometimes you think of these things and all of a sudden, like, in, and you're just like, oh, there's no way this can work out. And then all of a sudden, it just ends up working out. And you're just like, shit. It, yeah. it, it just really goes to show that sometimes it's just about the, 
it's just about the execution and marketing even more so than the product. There's like absolutely terrible products out there just that just do so well and are actually good products just purely for the execution. But the idea in and of itself is kind of shit. Mm-hmm. That kind of like outlines well, like what the whole dot-com bubble was, right? It yeah. Was, it was like people not understanding the tech behind it. So marketing something as like revolutionary allowed people to upscale their companies, their dot-com companies for, you know, millions of dollars. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, happening again. Sure. It's going to happen like with the crypto oh, yeah. right now, um, with tokens and everything. Crypto and AI. Crypto AI. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. Like bubbles are Web so... Web 3.0. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> true, true. But... um. Hey, yeah. we got to cash in on that. I know, I know. I mean, I tried. Oh, yeah. I've got a question for you two engineering minds. Um, Reb can go into it because there's an application. See, I, I come from a bit of an engineering background in the sense that my dad's an engineer. He's now a builder. So he's always been very hands-on. Look at this creation in front of you. That's the purpose of, you know, putting in work and, and you know, a vocation in essence. Um, you both have these kind of computer science-y. Reb does come from an enge- engineering background, to my understanding, but you also make music. Now, what I kind of dichotomize in my mind is you know making something real and making something abstract and you know what i want to ask reb someone who's done the engineering studies and as we know he's a pretty distinguished musician is the process is the satisfaction is the psychology similar to when you're making something physical as opposed to when you're making something a little more abstract like music do you enjoy one more than the other and have those experiences made you want to go in a certain direction in the future yeah, no, that's a that's a really good question, Kian. It's because I can probably answer it from the perspective of music. So the thing about music is making music is more about the outcome for it for yourself usually is is a feeling, right? It's not it's not necessarily so much of an accomplishment accomplishment, so to speak. The best music, in my opinion, is the music that you enjoy, right? Musicians should strive to make the music that they want to hear in the world, right? So it's just if you are following that philosophy and you just want to put stuff out there, then you're going to vibe with your own music. So you can listen to it a few times and be like, I like this. This is really good. Okay. Obviously there's, you know, musicians definitely have a lot more other human, I guess you could call them flaws. Maybe characteristics is a better word. Uh, you know, the music is often a, um, or their own music is often a way of getting validation for them as a person at times. Um, so it's a different sort of satisfaction to creating a product or a project. For example, you know, maybe the intersection between that before we go into the pure engineering side of it is maybe making games. Games are pretty abstract, but it's something that people can interact with at the same time. So it's it's a happy medium between like something that isn't real and something that it is real because you do end up writing and pulling stories, but there is a very, very physical implementation, which is the code and the art right that have to interact and work in a logical way to um have the end goal so that's that's also a different sort of accomplishment that comes between the two and obviously now we'll get to the engineering part of it the engineering satisfaction is just about solving a problem yeah it's 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 it is it's like you know when something's so stressful like you haven't examined something uh and then you finish it and you're like oh wow i did really well on that and like you get this huge hit of dopamine rush over you and you're like time to relax that kind of thing and I think you were mentioning this before in our conversation. It's just like, you know, when you do something like terrible, like incredibly difficult and you overcome that and it just gives you this sense of accomplishment. So it's it's more that. And it's just like, I don't know if there's specific adjectives that I can use to describe all three of those different scenarios. But if I had to describe, you know, the gaming aspect of it, which can be a, a intersection between the two, it would just be that, that huge accomplishment of you know, finally finishing something that was difficult and also some sort of thing where you're connecting with people and also gain some sort of validation from the art or the abstract piece that you've created. So it's just like, you also satisfy the feeling of it. Which is not to say that you can't do that with both engineering and music, right? You can also get that kind of stuff because there are very technically technical pieces of music that you can learn and play, right? Um, whereas there are also very abstract types of engineering that you can do, especially maybe in more of an architectural kind of field where there isn't necessarily so much utility on it of it, but it looks very beautiful. So um yeah, that's a very roundabout way of answering your question, I guess. But 
it is yeah i mean that's, uh, that's, it that's, is more about the feeling yeah yeah i mean that's exactly what like drew like i think draws most people to like these more sort of tangible hard sciences um is you, you're, you're right or wrong like most of the time and you can see that uh, especially with coding um <laughs> it'll be very apparent <laughs> if you do if you are wrong like um there's no question yet um but i think what like you kind of brought up an interesting point like you brought up earlier that you know you've kind of you know sort of touched and you know dealt with music as well as like with Cody and all that um but like now seems like kind of the era of like personal development and sort of upskilling your own time and it seems that for you that's exactly what you did earlier you know you know going through the process of learning not only just you know music itself but like production and like marketing yourself and then finding like people to collaborate with and the same with your coding mm. so like i mean I think we all want to hear kind of your story about how you've walked through your musical journey because it's one that is kind of unparalleled. But just your thoughts as well on like, like right now, is it like, it seems like it's the time where people need to constantly be sort of working on themselves and developing these skills in their free time because what they get through their sort of like, you know, the degrees or anything doesn't seem to, you know, be satisfactory or to kind of like fill all the gaps. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, uh, well, before I start with the journey, I think I should probably preface it by saying that I don't think, I think the most important thing for people to realize or like to figure out is figure out what they want first and foremost, right? I don't think necessarily just working, you can get into this trap or this cycle of like continually self-developing or self-development, mm -hmm. aiming to reach a goal. Mm -hmm. And you can just get locked into that cycle and just not really know. It's just like, yep, I just need to always be improving myself. And it can, it can be really hard because you just, the the present moment just kind of flies away. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh no, I was just spending all that time improving myself because it's something that I definitely experienced for the maybe past few years. Um, and I'm kind of coming out of it now that I'm getting a bit older and um, realizing that, you know, um, there is much more of a future ahead. So it's just like, it's not necessarily a cycle that everyone has to go through. It is a cycle that most go through just because of how um, education system and like parental and societal expectations have been set up. But it is very important for you to first and foremost know what it is that you want. Mm. Um, for me, now I can probably start my journey. So as I mentioned, the very first thing that I wanted, actually I'll start at the very beginning. So my goals in life hasn't re haven't really changed ever since I was about three-ish actually. So the very first thing that I wanted to be in my life was an artist. Mm -hmm. That's that's what led to the whole musical thing. The second thing that I wanted to be in my life that I recall was a paleontologist. That's on the backlog for now. We'll get back to that later, right? So, um, Work in progress. yes, we'll come back to uni someday and we'll go <laughs> digging dinosaur bones. Just oh. just to fulfill, to um, satisfy my inner child, we'll do that someday. But the third thing Thank that I wanted to be... Thank you for telling me what that meant. <laughs> I yeah, no, paleontology. <laughs> I only know it because of um, you know, all the friends references, but also because I was, yeah. I, know, I was really, I think I've always been really big into dinosaurs. Like, um, I, I really oh, enjoyed. Yeah. Like, I think my mom used to say like dinosaurs my favorite book. Um, I used to walk around with, like this dinosaur book, and it was like, it was also this show. Same. I remember it was like an Australian show where this guy had like this little kid had like a box of like yeah like dinosaur toys that he carried around with him. Um, yeah, I know I, what you're talking about. I, can't remember. I don't remember the show either. I'll, um, if I'm doing post editing here, I'll put a picture right here. Um, but yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah, there's like that. I used to love that show and I used to carry around the book with me as well. And then even then more recently when I like found out that like Ark Survival Evolved came out, I played that for like a while. Yeah. I love that. But, um, yeah, anyway, continue with your, um, Ark's a great game. Ark's so good. <laughs> we, should, we should play it after, um, or sometime. Absolutely. Uh, I've got to download it. <laughs> but yeah, um, definitely, um, yeah, continue with your paleontology sort of delay hiatus on that. oh yeah all right so that's that's that but the third thing that i wanted to be was an inventor or a physicist okay and um so i went through that whole stage so to speak and um you know that's what carried me through to uni and i when i first started uni uh i started doing uh i started doing physics i went into uni thinking that i was going to do physics and follow the pathway to phd but then somewhere along the way, I um, ended up doing engineering um, just because I thought it might be more practical or aligned to the goals of becoming an inventor, I guess. But um, then 
I guess I'm at that stage where I was, I was kind of like regretting it because I think physics for me did a lot more than I think actually physics is an interesting thing because physics in a lot of ways is very abstract, right? It is very tangible, but very abstract. Uh, mentioning your point before Keon. So it's like, it's also, again, one of those happy mediums between like having that discovery aspect and like doing something very tangible. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a very satisfying feeling. It's almost like prayer in a sense. Um, so uh, I, I I went down that road to just um, get that inventor tick, and um, now I'm here. Now I'm doing AI and stuff, and uh, I think we'll we'll get into that later. But that's that's basically the crux of the story as to why I did the things that I did. Um, but if we go into music just a bit more, it just I wasn't very much into music when I was a child. I was definitely more into my sciences and stuff. But I listened to scores, musical scores in movies, and I was just like, these sound freaking epic, right? <laughs> you know, like when Hans Zimmer, um, what Hans did Zimmer, uh, Price yeah, of the Caribbean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, when, you know, when um, Johnny Depp jumps off the, the tower and, and goes swimming to the Black Pearl and the theme plays, right? Or, oh, yeah. And it's just like, you know that. You know that feeling have you get, you're like, yeah. holy shit, this is epic, have right? Seen, like, um, and I was just like, the, how can I create that? Have you seen all the montages, which is, like, <laughs> the Black Pill theme works with everything, and it's, like, them on yeah, it does. And it does. Like, it's, Hans Zimmer is It's a good theme. Yeah. Um, my music, oh, he, what's it called? He's... My, um, my old music teacher, he's a master. like, classical music teacher, he, he was also kind of skeptical, like, kind of critical of Hans Zimmer, because, like, Hans Zimmer's a bit of a sellout, you know? Um, he's gone yeah. like these huge productions, but like, you can't deny that he's like really reshaped, like, um, the way that like music kind of, you know, is portrayed in films. And like, it's also good. Cause like, it's interesting to see like how Hans Zimmer has been influenced by like these really classically trained, like artists, like Philip Glass, for example, Philip Glass has like some amazing compositions and that's influenced a lot of like, if you look into elements of like, um, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer's Dunkirk, he has a lot of elements there, which kind of draw from like uh philip glass's minimalism um or time even like like literally uh, yeah. probably the most uh well-known um piece of han zimmer's but yeah like like you're right it, it is that definitely probably spurred microsoft's like soundtrack interest but yeah uh continue of course oh uh, not i I, th I completely resonate with that and i think that was the exact same thing for me and it's just like the i think the only difference for from most people is like the first thing when i when I thought what I what I thought when I heard that was how can I make this as opposed to like wow this is really epic so my brain was just like this is really epic how can I do this <laughs> right so I was just like back then it was just I was picking up guitar for the first time and um I think I downloaded a pirated copy of Sibelius oh, that was my Sibelius. first foray oh, that was my first foray into writing wait you didn't go yeah, to music yeah. school I feel like everyone like nah. when they start they like they don't know Sibelius, so they always go for like the musical and make their really like shitty compositions I definitely, on. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely googled it first and foremost. I'm not sure if musical was around back then. This uh, was like in 2010. True. Sibelius would have been terrible back then. Like I can imagine. Yeah, it's like yeah. three instruments. But, yeah, and they all sound the same. Because like I only knew how to play guitar back then, so it's just like. Oh, also, I should probably mention that I'm uh, I'm a completely self-taught musician. I've never actually had any lessons of any sort. So um, that's definitely been that's like crazy. a journey for me. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, yes, self-teaching. We'll get into that in a bit. But um, that's definitely been one of the things that I've done. Like, I definitely taught myself how to do most of the skills that I have these days. Even like coding. I just picked up books and I taught myself how to code when I was like around 10 or 11 or 12, something like that. Mm. That's crazy. Wait. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah but yeah so uh, that's that's how the musical start journey started and then i think uh i got into the whole electronic music scene um because some friend of mine was in it and or in it as in like he enjoyed it and i was like holy shit maybe i can try this and then i did try it and uh it was um it was addictive in a way I was very drawn to the sound design. I was just like, mm. I, I was very, I felt very constrained by instruments that already existed, right? So like guitars already had a specific sound, piano already had a specific sound, but it's just like with these electronic instruments, you could start crafting new sounds and new soundscapes. It's just like mm -hmm. stuff that you hadn't heard before. You can make 
you can make a modular synthesizer yeah. that sounds like bird chirps yeah that just, and that can just be yeah. one single line and it's just it's just amazing because not only can you use that to make your own sounds but you can also layer it up with existing instruments mm. while that you know it might be a guitar or a piano or whatever you can just sample it you can add all these effects to it so for example a classical instrument maybe say something like a glockenspiel right mm. very cute sound bing, 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 right you could just now put a, put that through a whole bunch of layers of filters and it could sound like a completely different instrument so it still has that organic characteristic but it sounds so much more abstract it like there's so much there were so many more elements for expressing emotion through these different sort of sorts of soundscapes mm. so um that really drew me into like the whole electronic music scene and uh if you guys remember 2010 2012 was also around the time of the dubstep genre with Skrillex. <laughs> so uh, those bass designs definitely drew me in a lot. So I got stuck into that. Um, and then, yeah, so I did that for okay, a while. So how, old, how old were you around this time, Red? How old were you getting into this new kind of music, music 12, thing? 13. Would have been a kind of turning, turning of age thing. Yeah, cool, cool. So going yeah, into that different. high school environment. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sure. Then what was the journey like from there? So finding this interest in music and then applying it and actually making stuff of your own and taking it to the places you did. What was that transition yeah, yeah. like? Well, yeah, yeah. So this is the story from this point on, actually. So like we've just gotten, we've just what established the backdrop. Uh, now. Do your thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I got into that and it's just like, for me, I guess I was a very, I wasn't a very competitive person in the sense that I didn't want to win things, right? But I wanted my creations to be known. Like that's, that was my way of competing like i didn't really care for having a prize for doing xyz but it's just like i wanted a prize for making this thing and i'm like yes this is maybe there was like some sort of legacy aspect of it working within me from very early on it's just like you know someone can refer back to this it's not just something that's going to expire in maybe 40 40 years and you're just like oh back in high school i did this no no it's it's more like you know music's more of a timeless thing it's just like i can be like oh i made this thing and it still is relevant um at some point uh later on so i wanted to be really good at what i did and i guess all of a sudden i think this is probably one of the places where i started realizing how important people skills were so i wouldn't say i was necessarily an amazing producer at that time but i definitely knew how to network and i learned how to network very early on so um I reached out to, well, I got, I got better and better with music. And then I reached out to a specific, um, publishing company slash management. And they were very interested. And these guys at that time managed, do you guys remember Mateo Cruz? <laughs> of course. Yes. Dynamite. Dynamite. Yeah. Oh, Dynamite. Yeah. And, oh, and do you remember? TNT. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you guys remember? John Martin, he did the Swedish House Mafia song, Who's Gonna Save the World? Uh, of course, of course. Yeah, so that management, that management company um, managed both of those guys. And uh, they were very interested in me at the time. Um, yeah, so that was that was like really big for me, but that didn't really end up working out. So we wasted a bit of time there. But then the second comp, but they introduced me to a lawyer because they wanted me to sign contracts, but my parents weren't very supportive of that kind of stuff back then. So that's the main reason why it didn't work out. Um, but they sent me to a lawyer and the lawyer was mostly in like the music industry. So he connected me to a label at the time called Ministry of, Ministry of Sound. The Ministry of Sound is now a owned by sony music bmg i think that's pretty pretty familiar yeah they, they were very big they were like probably the biggest um electronic music in the electronic music label in australia but they introduced me to a lawyer because they wanted me to sign contracts but my parents weren't very supportive of that kind of stuff back then so that's the main reason why it didn't work out um but they sent me to a lawyer and the lawyer was mostly in like the music industry. So he connected me to a label at the time called Ministry of, Ministry of Sound. The Ministry of Sound is now a owned by Sony Music BMG, I think. That's pretty, pretty familiar. Yeah, they, they were very big. They were like probably the biggest um, 
electronic music in the electronic music label in Australia. Okay, um, so this was around when I was 16. <laughs> uh, it is a nightclub, I think so. Yeah, uh, it started as a nightclub in the in England in the early uh, 90s yeah, yeah. that became a music label. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that that worked out. So it was very it was very exciting to be signed when you're like a 16 or 17 year old, right? Um, definitely get all that hype from your mates, right? Um, especially in the electronic music scene, because like if if your mates know that, then if your mates were in the electronic music scene in around 2014, I don't remember exactly the year, uh, that was a very big deal because it was a very big label. And um, after that, I did a remix. Oh, that might have been before, actually. I did a remix for a guy named OWS, and the track actually featured Pusha T. So um, that got signed <laughs> to uh, Overthrow Records, which was owned by Sony Music also. Um, that was very interesting, and that happened. And then uh, I started going into more of like an indie kind of field just because this is this is probably where it started kind of going downhill. Was um... Oh, actually, no, I forgot to mention one thing. Sorry, my storytelling is all over the place. I haven't, I don't, I don't even remember all of this because I haven't thought about it in so long. Uh, so at that time, I actually signed with another manager, and that manager used to um, manage Demi Lovato, and um, he also managed like some Grammy-nominated artists and stuff. So that was I, I had signed with that manager at the time. Mm -hmm. But this is where the this is where stuff kind of get started getting iffy, and why I started quitting music. Um, when you get into this kind of field, you have a very specific sound that you can stick to. Otherwise, they don't really accept your sound. So I made some tracks and I sent it over to Ministry of Sound a few times over and over. And it's just, they kept on being like, you know, why don't we get you a ghost producer that can make music for you and it can be the face and name of it. Um, just because I don't think this is really the sound that we're going for and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, I loved making music. Like that was the main reason why I made music. That was just because I loved it. I didn't care for the fame. Well, I guess everyone cares about the fame just a little bit, right? Um, I didn't care too much, but like, obviously that wasn't the priority. I wanted to be, if I wanted to be famous, then I wanted to be known for my sound and my thing, but they wanted a very specific type of sound, which was very, very much something that I disliked. I didn't like the minimal style of music that was going on in Melbourne at that time. Mm. So uh, stuff happened, entered uni. And I signed with some very big indie labels, and then I just kind of stopped making electronic music. And I just haven't been in the game for about the past three-ish years, I guess. But I think I think we'll get back into it sometime soon. Um, yeah. So it's just like in my life, I think I don't I don't necessarily ever stop things. As in, like, yep, that was done. That's I'm never coming back to it. I think I'll definitely be coming back to all of the things that I have previously wanted to do, including paleontology, obviously. Mm. It's just, for me, I definitely learnt it in a similar fashion, but the way that I learnt it, I've got my keys here. Okay. Pull it out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have, I, have, I have slide out. My, my keys just slide out like this. So it's just Wait, like, what? And you have, you have all the physical props. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. So oh. I've just got that. Yeah. Push that back in. But yeah, usually what I do is, I mean, you probably, you can't hear this right now because the MIDI keyboard yeah, is MIDI, not connected. Of course, of course. But um, I would the way that I would do is like I would play chords. Um, I don't actually know how to play piano very well. It's I, I usually use this as a playing uh, a composing tool. Mm. So I never really learned much technique, but I would definitely play like chords, and I would play intervals over it. So like right now, say that's a D, right? Mm. I would play something like an E over it, right? And that'd be a major second, and be like, hmm, that's an interesting contrast. So that major chord, a major chord over a um, major second, mm. that's what it sounds like, the interval of it, right? And that is usually how I'd go about like learning it. So it was like a creation process and it was more of an exploration process. So it's just like, what I initially did was exactly the thing that you did where I memorized intervals, but I realized that it wasn't doing it for me just because it was more of a chore. Mm. And I feel like there's definitely ways. I think some people are more inclined to do that. And it's just like, they like that accomplishment feeling. It's just like, oh no, uh, now I know intervals and I can memorize intervals. And I know that from that perspective. Whereas like for you and I, I guess it was more of a case of like, this is really stressful and it's not very fun. Mm. I would rather have a practical application or a practical side. Maybe that's where the engineering brain, you know, the picky engineering brain comes in. It's just like, I want to know what this does and I want to explore it. 
kind of mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a good point. I think with music, I remember my music teacher telling me specifically, and he was like an established like composer. He'd produced compositions for like international like orchestras and ensembles, and he like wrote the like he wrote the theme song or kind of like the the song that encapsulated Canberra's like centenary, which no one really cares about, but it was pretty cool. I do. Oh, thank you, thank you. But um, yeah, he's, that's he's, pretty cool. His one advice was like. You know, like theory is important like obviously like it's good to like follow like a structure like a recipe like at times and create the foundation but you like as musicians and people who've like listened to music consumed it like have played it for most of your lives you probably know better than anyone what sounds good and if it sounds good i think that's all yeah. that matters yeah that's that's the end goal of music honestly if it sounds good it sounds good now, obviously, the thing about it is, like, if it sounds good, it sounds good if you're a bit of an experienced musician, because sometimes you'll hear very dismal things uh, oh from God. an experienced musician. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think back to, like, when I used to make music as a kid, and I was like, yeah, this is the shit. This is freaking great, right? And like, and then you listen back to it maybe, like, two months later, because I was, I was very obsessed with music. Like when I picked up guitar and I was teaching myself, so like I didn't have a teacher, I'd maybe practice like five hours a day just because I was that into it. Right. It, it takes a lot for an 11 year old kid to sit down for five hours and just like play the instrument or be dedicated to anything for five hours a day. Mm. Right. So I was doing the same thing with like production. I was like, probably that was like, it consumed most of my life. It really did. Um, more than anything, studies or whatnot. Like, I, I couldn't give two shits about studies when it came to making music. Um, but luckily, luckily, I was a, a good student. So, or like, maybe some somewhat brainy, so to speak. So I did pull through and did reasonably well at school. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why I'm here, obviously. Yeah. I think um, <laughs> it's definitely interesting. Like, I had a friend who, you know, he played clarinet with me. And he never really clicked with it. Like, he wasn't incredible at it. His, his sister was... um. She had, like, synesthesia, right? So she naturally had a big sort of, like, an affinity for music. And she, like, was just really intelligent. Like, she was, like, topping all her classes in high school. Um, and then, you know, year 12, like, topped all the classes, got a really good ATAR. Um, and then she wanted to head off and do music. Um, and she awesome. was, like, in love with music. So she was doing, like, um, playing, like, the flute. And she loved it. Uh, but my friend, like, I-, I never thought he was that interested in music. Because uh, he didn't really like clarinet. But then he picked up, like guitar and that like changed everything for him he picked up guitar and he really enjoyed it and they like joined like like kind of they kind of created this like this spin-off like arctic monkeys band and they called it like first it was antarctic apes but then it became the apes um (laughs) and so they played a bunch they played like franz ferdinand they played um they played some the strokes uh they were going to try and do red hot chili peppers uh didn't work out um but anyway he he found infinity for like singing and like playing guitar but then even more, he like fell into this hole of like loving like folk music. And he was um, like in love with like, um, you know, sort of like uh, Italian music and just general like Australian. Like he loved Paul Kelly, loves Bob Dylan. Um, yeah. And he then learned how to play like the mandolin as well. Um, and so he taught himself how to nice. play the mandolin. And now like every week he goes to like, well, when Canberra was in lockdown, he'd go in and he'd play at like the local kind of like pub. And he'd play on his mandolin there and he'd do like different acts. Like he loved Irish folk and he would play like Irish folk. Like some, he'd play obviously the Pogues um, and he'd play that. Um, and then he would have people approach him being like, oh, I really love what you play. Like, I'd love you like join my little band and there'd be bands playing. And there's like, there's such like a nice sense of community where everyone would come watch him. Um, he would perform, like everyone watches music. So he would promote his tickets, everyone come watch it. And like, that's someone who like, I didn't think would like awesome. develop yeah. an affinity for it. And he's like, kind of like throwing himself straight into like all this folk stuff. Like he's studying classics at ANU. Um, he loves like languages. He like just randomly wanted to learn Italian. So he asked for an Italian tutor when he wasn't even doing Italian. Like he was doing it as like kind of not too seriously at school. He did Italian and fell in love with it and was, was like doing Italian every single day. And then became like the best in his class, best everything. And then he fell in love with like history. And he was uh, really obsessed with like sort of like uh, Greek history um, and kind of the Caesar period and all that and Roman history. Um, and was looking into all that. And then he loved it so much that he went and pursued and was, like, doing his classics to get ANU and just absolutely loves it. Is doing, like, on a, like on his classes when he isn't meant to. Um, and it's, like, that's probably, like, the best definition of someone who's, you know, really does not care about what's expected, what is needed, what is, like, 
fruitful in terms of degree or like hobbies, but just follows things through and just does them for his own sake, as Reb was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's probably the most important thing, right? Like this man, he sounds absolutely brilliant. Like he sounds like he's in love with life. And it's just like, that's the state <laughs> that every human being should be in, right? It's yeah. just like, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are at things. If you don't, if you're not, if you're not living, and I, I'm pretty sure that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but I'm sure that's an internal feeling that most people know. It's like, mm. I'm alive. I feel great and I'm thriving. If you're not having that, it's just like, yeah. he's a, it doesn't he's a, really he's a, matter. He's a big stoic. So yeah, he yeah. definitely understands like, uh, he, he loves all, all things like philosophy related as well. But uh, he, of course. all his friends are like, he talks about all his friends are like big nihilists. And he's like a stoic yeah. and he's always clashing heads with them. He's like, how do you guys like, how are you guys okay with not doing anything? Like, how are you guys okay with just like indulging all this, indulging all this like self-pleasure and like, you know, um, these desires. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a fun character. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Like the idea well, of how, well, like where they take you, your interests. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because I don't think he, nihilism necessarily entails hedonism. I think nihilism can, I think a stoic can be nihilistic, right? A stoic mm. is just someone who's accepting of the moment and is just always there in the moment, right? Mm. Whereas a, nihil and, and a nihilist, it's it's not necessarily a negation to that belief. A nihilist is just someone who thinks there's no intrinsic value of the universe, mm. right? Sorry, not value, intrinsic purpose of the universe, right? So all they're doing is just saying, hey, I can be whatever I want to be, and I'm therefore okay with being in the present and really enjoying that, which is, which sounds like exactly what he's doing. Mm, mm. He's not hurting anyone or harming anyone. And whereas like, you know, hedonism is also another way of doing that. If nothing matters, then why wouldn't I go do some Coke and cockroaches, so to speak? <laughs> that's, there's the, yeah, that's the hedonism that comes in, but yeah. Yeah. yeah like, um, but I don't think one necessarily entails the other is what I'm trying to say. True. I think that's that true. differently, the two philosophies that don't necessarily have an intersection. Mm, mm, yeah for sure um yeah i mean i think um in terms of like talking about like creativity and like you know obviously for com composing and stuff like you always need like ideas are you know sometimes hard to come by um especially when you're forced i guess in my in my case it was i had Kill to produce them. ideas because i Kill had them. <laughs> but um the thing is like i actually read uh about this interesting kind of concept uh this guy called julian like julian shapiro not Ben's brother, mm -hmm. um, but he... <laughs> not, not Ben Shapiro. Uh, look, not to be... He's the... He's probably my preferred Shapiro, to everyone's surprise. But um, <laughs> I've got a nice picture of where I look like Ben Shapiro, so I'll put that through as well. We've um, we've seen that, I think. Oh, okay. Then, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so essentially, um, Julian Shapiro has, has coined this term for what he calls a creativity faucet. Um, and the idea of creativity faucet is you imagine creativity to be like a pipe um, which has water passing through it. And we imagine that bad ideas are like wastewater and they flow through this pipe. Um, but in order to get the pipe sort of cleansed and for creativity to come through, so good ideas, you need the pipe to have all the wastewater come through it before the clear water can come through. So essentially his philosophy and his kind of term is that you essentially, when you have sort of like writer's block or an issue. The key to it is to sit down and write down all the bad ideas you have and focus on the bad ideas. Cause essentially what it will is your brain will have pattern matching and it'll identify features of bad ideas. And then in consciously knowing that they're bad ideas, you'll be able to identify them and then avoid them. And then the good ideas mm. come in. And the secret here isn't to just give up and walk away when you like, oh, I can't come up with like anything good. You just got to persevere with it. And apparently, this is like a sort of like a philosophy and like an approach that like, you know, Ed Sheeran uses for songwriting, like uh, John Mayer uses for, and like, that's how they can produce like Frank Ocean. Song. Yeah, exactly. Frank Ocean, song after song, Neil Gaiman, the, um, like the sort of writer, writer can keep producing like incredible stories because he has this like, oh, yeah. sort of like a tailored approach. Um, and Stephen I think, King yeah, exactly. I also mentioned that he does the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, that's yeah. interesting. See, I don't know. If you guys know, you may. If you guys ever watched Twin Peaks, you know of the director David Lynch. Um, no, I haven't watched Twin Peaks. No. It's not <laughs> all good, all good. But but um, 
David Lynch is probably, in my opinion, one of the most creative people to exist. Mm. I mean, the guy is just nuts, and he's bloody brilliant, in my in my modest opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember there's a video of him talking about ideas as as almost like um, I, I don't know the exact words, but but the, the, this phenomena that just exists in your mind and what you have to and they just pass through, mm. almost like particles in wind, right? And 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 you just take them as they come and find what value you can see in them. And I think. Well, the reason I'm mentioning this is because from my memory of his explanation, he doesn't necessarily say ideas are intrinsically good or bad, right? They're just kind of there and they're there for you to do what you what you will with them. So while I don't necessarily disagree with what you've said about what Shapiro reckons and, and how bad ideas come through to make way and that whole writer's block thing, I, I, I feel that and I think we've all experienced that. Um I, I don't know if I could jump on the idea that an idea is in, inherently good or bad, and it's like you know, Lynch himself said that you have to you have to take it and play with it and stretch it and apply it to see if it actually works. With that, I, I do want to ask Reb because I don't know, I won't I won't presume about Ivan, but Reb does have some awesome experience in making music and testing these ideas. What do you think of that kind of? that that relationship do you think they're inherently good or bad or do you like what lynch had to say about just running with them see what they do this this is exactly what i was going to talk about so like my personal experience with it so first and foremost uh, actually i'll get to ivan's one and then i'll get to yours um i think for me the first thing about creativity is it is definitely a quantity game right Uh, that's what i was saying it's just like you know the first thing uh is ideas are they're not they're not inherent nothing they don't come out of nothingness right we're all pattern recognizers and we're we're all we're all neural networks right inside so we recognize patterns and we put them together to come up with an idea so the the reason why i got into music in the in the first place or like into writing was what i would do is like i would take the chords of something so like that might be you know um hans Zimmer's he's a pirate and i would hum over it and I try to come up with my own melodies on top of it. Or what I do is like, there are already melodies that exist. So, you know, like think about the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. And then I would try to extend that melody with my own, as opposed to actually following through the next line. Okay. And I kept doing that over and over and over again until something, this is where Kian's answer, Kian's, um, the thing that you were saying before might come into play until something fit in that inherently wasn't, good but subjectively in that case sounded good to me right and i think that's what's most important and you're just like yes i'm a human being and if i enjoy this experience there is also a good chance that everyone else in this demographic who also sort of are similar to me might also enjoy this experience which is why there's a lot of niche music that has a lot of niche characteristics that you might be like i don't understand screamo sounds terrible whereas like some other people might be like this is really good this you know there's some uh, fry technique to this, or there's some very good airflow technique to this, breathing technique to this, and it really brings out the resonant frequencies that you want for this mm. particular genre to sound good. So it's just, it is definitely, I think, you know, Lynch, um, there is there is nothing that's inherently good or bad, right? Obviously, a dubstep bass isn't going to sound good in a classical setting to most people that enjoy it. But for some people that enjoy both Probably of them... that's a challenge accepted. That's got to be a challenge accepted for you. I've I've Make done I've done it before for sure. <laughs> but um. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's I loved making okay. I loved mi- mixing and making things. So it's just like it was definitely like a more of an experimental thing. So it's just you know um I think so like I I agree with both of those. So it's like to concretely summarize what what um both of you are saying. It is more of a quantity game to get better at your craft, mm. and you will find things eventually. It's not like geniuses don't come up with ideas and it just happens to be that then try a whole bunch of stuff and then they, they get better over time at solving those particular problems if you can call it a musical problem in a sense whatever fits mm-hmm. better whatever chord fits better underneath it whatever progression conveys the emotion better and it is a to answer kian's thing it is a subjective thing where we all agree that it is a good sound mm-hmm. there right mm-hmm. because if you take a jazz musician and you know, jazz is pretty freaking weird, right? Because it's all about playing the wrong notes at times. That's the chromatic approach to everything. Whereas, like, it was definitely a very acquired taste to enjoy jazz at first, because at first you're just like, this doesn't make sense. This is just random notes, right? But mm. over time, there becomes some order to the chaos. 
and you start to see the profoundness of it. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely interesting that you mentioned jazz because I think the biggest sort of like the hallmark moment that you know kind of shifted um, you know classical and pop, like sort of general classical to jazz was like Stravinsky's push for like introducing jazz and like how he launched like Firebird which is this like Russian which was like this ballet piece and it had like elements of jazz and it was so like critically kind of like acclaimed like people were like rioting in the streets because of how just different it was and how much it kind of like shaked their views on like what classical music was and that's kind of the idea of like you know you have these like paradigm shifts and these things that really shift the music onto the next stage and like you said your your dubstep with like classical dubstep with jazz like that is just that could just be a catalyst for the next sort of era of music and i think now is where it starts becoming very like, happening yeah it's very exciting it's it's crazy but it's like music right now that doesn't have like a definition like it's all very sort of up in the air and kind of like a cloudy sort of uh, mm. like gray area of limbo of what really defines sound but like yeah i don't know yeah. if you've um with, like considering you do have like an electronic sort of like interest i don't know if you've listened to any of like steve Reich's I've heard. stuff but um yep i've listened classic. to brock um, i've listened to um i've listened to uh Demi- shostakovich's um jazz uh, album is definitely yeah, one of yeah. my favorites yeah um but yeah the firebird suit is firebird yeah right of right, the, the, right the whole screen, suit yeah classic um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, no, yeah. I, I did. I definitely listened to a lot of classical when I was when I was younger too, mm-hmm. just because I I love to I love to expand my knowledge. And also, I was writing scores, so like I would like usually follow along with a score while I would be um, listening to something. So like that's kind of like how I also learned to write. So it's like yeah. I've been think, um, I've definitely been exposed exposed to a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think obviously you probably also know Giorgio Marauder. Um, no. the, really, he like no. pioneered like disco music he was like the italian composer who like pushed the era of like electronic and disco there's a really good really? punk song like that they made about him i definitely recommend listening to it uh i probably heard this stuff i'm really bad with another one yeah um but you would so like you like, said oh, modular sorry. synthesizer and that's literally like one of the like the, the key like lyrics which like swells at that point because he, he like he he took the synthesizer and he like redefined the sound of like techno and disco music and he yeah, like, yeah. ran with it. Um, so he's definitely a very interesting guy. But um, yeah, because I remember like the earliest adoptions of like, I think the earliest adoption of um, uh, of electronic was I think probably in Japan. I can't remember. Um, and then Steve Reich took it, wrote different trains, wrote uh, music for 18 musicians. Um, all these very, very like different sort of pieces, which kind of like challenged what the view of music is. And all these like, inauthentic like artificial sounding instruments which would like Mm. emulate like human like human voice and human aspects and it was it was crazy yeah um yeah but yeah that was that was a paradigm shift in music um but to kind of bring it back to um our point about you know i like creating ideas and like good ideas i don't know have you guys heard of this guy called yoshiro nakamatsu Mm. no no not (laughs) really so you Sounds know, familiar though. So Dr. Was he an electronic musician? No, no, no. This is this is completely okay. this is in this realm okay. of just idea creation and the approach to it. So Nakamats is he prefers to be called Dr. Nakamats because he says uh eight letters are easier to remember. Um <laughs> yeah. but he's a very eccentric character. He's I think about like ninety three years old right now. He's a Japanese um inventor. And he is known for having the most patents in the world. He has about, I think, 3.6,000 plus. Um, and this is on a uh, great yeah. big story, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, great big story, yeah. It was like a... My boss was a while so, ago. Go yeah, on, yeah. yeah, go on. I, I recently like rewatched and did some more research. But he is a very interesting character. He's been inventing for uh, decades now. Um, and he's invented everything from the landing gear to uh, essentially like a self-defense wig to mobile phone, like sort of like self-defense wig. Did you say? Yeah. yeah, Like a a wig that he throws at people to like defend himself, but he has 3.6 K patents. Um, and he has a very interesting approach to things where he has, um, these two different rooms, uh, which he uses to sort of, uh, spur his ideas. Like he has a Rye room. I could be misinterpreting this, but he essentially has a room called the static room, um, which is, where it's completely laced in gold um, and has like a gold toilet and everything and gold walls and he sits in there and it's completely like it like sort of prevents like 
radio frequencies from coming through. And that's where he starts like kind of his ideation process. And he sits there and he thinks about the ideas. And then he has this dynamic room, which essentially is a, again, a toilet. He has an obsession with them for some reason, but in an elevator and the elevator moves. And all it does, the elevator only plays the third movement of Beethoven's fifth. Um, and he sits there and that's where he finishes his ideas. But probably the most notable thing about him is he came up with this kind of method that allows him to produce the most ideas. He first invented a waterproof notepad. And then what he does is he goes underwater into his pool and he thinks and he thinks and he thinks. And then he won't rise above the surface until he's come up with an idea. And he says the idea only comes in the 0.05 seconds before death. And he does this every single time. And he's doing it at 93 years old. But he, he like submerges himself underwater, waits for like the moment to come where he feels like this is this is the end. And then he has that epiphany and he writes it down in his notepad and then he floats up and he he's fine. But um, It's kind of like a live every day like it's your last kind of thing. Oh, yeah. He's very, like, if you saw him, he's, he has like very eccentric wow. suits. He has like glitter suits. He has like this kind of like... um. Uh, he's very sort of like flamboyant and like, uh, he loves life and he's like, like for 93 years old, he's very sort of youthful. Um, but that's, yes, I was thinking if like, I mean, living to 93 years is in and out, it's a pretty, pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. It's, he's, it's uh, crazy. definitely above he has, average. Yeah. He has like three times as many patterns as, um, uh, Thomas Edison? a good friend Thomas Edison did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't really like Thomas Edison, so I don't really... Yeah, Yeah, he didn't, he didn't have enough Nikola Tesla threw over, did he? Uh, yep, yep, yep. That's classic. That's, uh, <laughs> that's definitely uh, a debate for another day. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's like the idea of like, you know, creative frameworks and like what works and these idea pipelines is very interesting. In a sense, there's probably a lot of really, really good structured ways to do it. Um, but also like, I think just sometimes I think people just have stronger neural connections and these neural networks where they can cut with ideas more quickly and they get more stimulus potentially sure. from, you know, without a doubt around yeah. them. Um, like the kind of like, the only justification I have to not, um, cleaning my table is apparently I've been told that if your table's messy, you're more creative because you have more stimulus to work with and you think outside the box. Um, I will disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mom kind of like, gave me too much confidence in a kid because I used to play a lot of games and then, you know, I would play like, if you remember like tap, tap revenge, like four, like I... on your phone and you could like tap and you'd hit the buttons and then I would play that in front of my mom and she's like, wow, you're like incredible. Like your reaction <laughs> speed is so like, you have such a good reaction speed. Like it must be because you play games all the time. Like I could never do it. Like I've tried and I could never do it. I was fed this belief that I had an incredible reaction speed my whole life. And then when I did all the ruler tests, I was doing worse than all my friends and I did the clicking things. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, what is this lie? Um, but yeah, look, um, I'd say gaming probably shaped me in, in that way, I'd say. I don't think we could have started with a better or more interesting guest. So thank, thank you, you, Reb. I mean, the, the musical insight, the paleon... I'm not going to finish the word. All, all of the insights, you know, from, from philosophy to music to, you know, the nature of creativity... You've been an absolute yep. pleasure to dissect and, and uh, oh, poke questions at. So thank you. Thank you for your time. It, it has been wonderful. I was going to say, before before Reb, you know, before we conclude this, I feel like it'd be wrong if you didn't at least play something on the guitar for us. You want me to play something? Uh, look, look. Oh, yeah. Um, if, it's if it's been there mind. the whole time. I've been tempted to. Just play whatever you like. You know, I'll... Oh, he's got another one. Oh my god! <laughs> he's got the Fender Strat. Oh. oh, this is this is my oh yeah, this is my baby. This is my best friend. Um, Dude, what a what a guitar! This is so versatile. Gorgeous. So... Oh, I'll... the sunburst. Sunburst. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Love it. It is it is a custom shop Strat too. Get out. So, uh, yeah, I got I this. I wouldn't say you deserve any less. You don't deserve any less. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the 20, this is a 2012 model. So Demi Lovato signed that one. Yeah. Nine. It's nine years old now. Push a T, touched it. Let's play some blues today. I feel okay. like I play enough yeah. funk. <laughs> Thank you.
Wait, is this going through an amp or is it going? Is it like? Is it like clear or does it sound twangy? It's a bit. I twangy. don't know, but it sounds good. <laughs> I could really. I could. No. I'm I'm gonna turn my amp. It sounds funny, but look, I can still hear the soul. I think that's the technique. He's, he's no, doing no, that. No, no, I know that. I know that. Oh, Does that sound yeah, better? Okay, yeah, that, is, that is clear as day. Is that better? Oh, it was always good, but continue. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's play some blues. <laughs> 